When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton. Sober since 2015. Hello, beautiful pod squad. How are we, team? Great. That's just good. I'm glad. Hey, I want to share a really awesome message I got on Insta. Love me some Instagram DMs. Uh, I won't say who it's from. It's just from somebody wonderful who reached out saying, Hey, Maz. I've pre-ordered your book and started listening to your podcasts. You've summed up my relationship with alcohol within two episodes. Thank you for everything you've given me the strength to finally stop and not worry about others' opinions. And thank you for letting me know that that's where you're at. And that's so super encouraging. I'm so glad that you have found something that is making sense to you. And that's why I love this podcast. That's why I love having chats. And I'm meeting some really cool people through the platform of podcasting. Uh, My next guest is somebody who I connected with because he is sober and he hosts a podcast in America called Sober Friends Pod. His name's Matt Jur. He is just a delightful human. And what we decided to do was we did a collab, a crossover episode where we interviewed each other on each other's podcasts at the same time. Two birds, one stone, you may say. Um, It's a great chat. He's just cool. It's cool to connect with people who, you know, live on the other side of the world in a whole different time zone um, with different challenges and from different backgrounds and to know that we've all kind of arrived at a place where we wrestled with our relationship with alcohol and found sobriety and sobriety has become the journey is just it's so cool and he's got a really wild story that he shares so openly with me and I in turn share part of my story with him so enjoy this is a collab this podcast episode will be airing in two different countries at the same time. Well, kind of. It will be available in two different countries. Well, technically, I guess podcasts are available all over the globe, but you know what I'm saying. We've got an episode running here on Last Drinks and an episode running over there on Sober Friends Pod. Um, If you want to know more about Matt, just look up Sober Friends Pod. If you want to know more about me, catch me here next week. All right, fam, have a good one. Enjoy this collab episode with Sober Friends Pod. I love doing collabs um, because it's more bang for your buck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so joining me on my podcast, and I am also joining him on his podcast um, across the seas, it's Matt from Sober Friends Pod. Now, you're based in Connecticut. Yep, east coast of the United States, not far from New York City. And you are fully sober. Fully sober since March 21st, 2014. We're pretty close we in our sobriety close. dates. A hundred percent. Well, can I, can I jump in first and ask you about your last drink? Can you tell me about your last drink? I can tell you all about it. It was two days after my youngest daughter was born. Oh, my wow. father-in-law brought over a bottle of white wine. And I went and grabbed that bottle, and I must have gone through three quarters of it. And I didn't finish it. For whatever reason, I saw that there was three quarters left, and I looked and said, I can't finish this. I can't go through this whole bottle. Mm. I have to stop. And no idea why. 
And that ended up being the last drink I ever had. Put it down, and there was no intent to stop drinking. And I did. Wow. It really wasn't intentional for another month. I would drive into liquor stores, and I'd drive in, I'd sit there, and the wheel would kind of come out of my hands, and I would drive away. That's why it's like almost like a spiritual experience. Very much so. You know, and, and look, people have their opinions about spirituality and spiritual GPSs and all, and all of those things. But that is it's such an, a unique story that it, I do feel like when people have, and we'll get into what your drinking behavior was like prior to that event in a minute. But right. when people have problematic relationships with alcohol, the very thought of not drinking can really cause a lot of anxiety, feelings Absolutely. of impossibility, hopelessness, and this idea that you have to, you're just forever going to be white knuckling, forever just <sighs> going, I'm not drinking, and it's going to be a struggle. And I think for a lot of people, those early days are a real struggle because you're battling with so many things that are happening in your physiology, with your mental health, with your relationships. But to hear that you just somehow had this feeling that you were done and then you were done is really quite interesting. It ended up that I hadn't drunk for a while. And then maybe a month later or so, I was watching an American TV show called Switched at Birth. One of the main characters was in recovery and she found a boyfriend and he owned a bar and he handed her a glass of wine. And I could see the look on her face that she knew she was doing something she shouldn't be doing. This was not smart. Put the glass to her lips. And as the liquid was going past her tongue, you could see the change on her face. In wow. that moment, I looked there and I said, this is me. I have a problem. And for the first time, I looked and said, alcohol is the least of my problems. If I really want to stop drinking, which I have to do because I know I am an alcoholic now, everything in my life has to change. And I mm -hmm. felt like my body was on fire. The only way to describe it was wearing a wool sweater on the inside and it burned and it didn't stop burning for weeks. And wow. every moment of every day was around, I have to drink, I have to drink, I have to drink, I have to drink. And I didn't feel like that in the previous month for whatever mm -hmm. reason I was being shielded, but I was set up for that, for that moment to stop drinking. And it hit me all at once. It sounds like you got switched at birth. Like as in <laughs> your sober self switched into you when your yeah. youngest daughter was born. Right. Somehow. So tell me about your uh, relationship with alcohol leading into that uh, bottle of wine in, or almost bottle of wine incident. Um, just yeah. after your daughter was born, what was, were you a daily drinker, day drinker, weekends only, you know, how, how hard did you go? I wasn't a daily drinker. I didn't drink in the morning. I almost had rules in my mind. I had rules that I couldn't do things at certain times because if I did, I was an alcoholic. Yeah. My father was an alcoholic. He drank a, one of those big jugs of Gallo every day. My mother had problems. My stepfather was an alcoholic. So I was surrounded by this. Okay. And I was never going to be an alcoholic because of that. I was never going to have those problems. So I had all of these rules that I would try and stop drinking after two. Or I would only drink at night. Or I'd only drink on weekends. But when I stopped and tried to control it, I couldn't enjoy it. I was miserable. Mm -hmm. And when I enjoyed it, I could have no control. Mm -hmm. And I drank alone. Mm -hmm. I drank in secret. Yeah. And there were even those times I tried to control it. And then there were times that next thing you knew, a six pack was gone. Yeah. And I couldn't explain why. Yeah. It's so interesting. So I call what you've described, I call the invisible boundaries, which are, it's how we bargain with our behavior. And we, oh, yeah. we justify what we do by saying things like, well, I'm only, I only drink at night. I only do this or I'm not as bad as that person. And because we have these little parameters, we convince ourselves that that means that we are okay because we're not that bad and we're not doing it there or here or whatever, right? And even maybe subconsciously you're like, well, I'm, I am alone and drinking, so it's kind of okay because no one else has to see this or deal with this, right? Yes. But what I think my encouragement to anyone who's listening going, oh my God, that's like 
red flag, that's me, is instead of uh, giving ourselves these invisible boundaries is actually asking yourself the one big question, which is why am I drinking? Not how much, what time of day, what type of liquor, uh, or excusing it because, well, I had three days sober this week, so I'm allowed. Instead of doing the numbers, do the feelings bit, which is why do I actually feel like I'm doing this behavior? And then from there, you can start to kind of have that conversation with yourself about, well, if this is why I'm drinking, maybe, as you said, it's not about the alcohol. It's about all this other stuff like family, upbringing, childhood trauma. We all have so many things, you know, that that we carry with us and we try to manage and cope and, and what have you. So that would that's definitely my echo from the story that you've shared so far is to the numbers doesn't help anyone, right? No. No, and it's not about the numbers and it's not about the DUIs and it's not about being homeless, which I thought. It's about what does alcohol do to me when it's in my system? Mm. And when it comes into my system, it's really hard to stop. And I could stop maybe at two, but it's hard. It takes effort. And then my mind is going nuts. Mm. That's not what normal people do with alcohol. They have a drink. They're fine. They stop. Mm. Yeah, it's a really, it's such an interesting place to arrive where you, it's like thinking about your behavior rather than just behaving your behaviors, you know? And I don't know if that's a, something that happens as we get older or our season of life changes and you've all of a sudden got added responsibility because there's another family member or whatever it is. At some point you do arrive at this place where you're like, huh, how come, what, why am I behaving like this? Why am I doing this? And, and yeah, like I said, from there you can really start to unpack the whys and then it's it's a bit of work you know like it is it's a bit of uncomfortability for most people just sitting with feelings and actually processing them and growing from them and you know learning a bit about ourselves i struggle with spirituality and you talked about it earlier spirituality for me is a journey yet i think it's not that you got older that you stopped and something hit you for me I think something touches upon you from the universe to get you to stop. And I'm a firm believer those of us who have stopped drinking have done so because there's some type of purpose in our life Mm -hmm. that we were chosen to help other people. And I think that's the difference between those who stop and those who don't, because I don't have another explanation for it. I tried doing this a lot of times and I never could get it through my head. I had a problem. But this time, everything changed and I had a different mindset than I've ever had in my life and I can't explain it. So I have a mild obsession with Oprah Winfrey, which um, regular listeners to my podcast will understand. This will be brand new news for listeners of your podcast, Matt. And she has this saying about how the universe speaks to us in whispers. And at first it will be this tiny little pebble in in the very still lake. And that pebble drops in and there's a little tiny ripple effect. And if you don't notice that, then there's a little rock that gets dropped in and there's a bigger ripple. And if you don't notice that, then there's a a bigger rock and then there's a brick. And then at some point the whole wall comes crashing down. And it's this idea that there are these things that are signposted for us along the way. And sometimes we miss them all until we get to that crucial crossroads, line in the sand, big deal moment. But I think for a lot of people who have become sober, if they think back about their journey, they can be like, oh my God, that was the pebble. That was the rock. This was that moment. And because the thing with alcohol is, is it rewires our brain and it changes the way we think. It's really difficult to see those signs. And it also, um, it gives us huge lapses in memory function. And so we don't remember the signs, even if we do see them. So the alcohol one is a real double whammy for people who are stuck in that cycle. I also love Oprah because I've learned a lot about listening from her. If you ever want to be a great interview, watch Oprah and watch how she does it. She speaks very little, asks one word and gets people to open up. I love that analogy, and the only thing I would say is different for me is you have to skip a rock 
it skip and then hit me straight in the head to learn. I need to learn from pain. Wow. So I can identify with that analogy. And I guess in a way that is self-awareness, because if you know that about yourself, then that's great for you to know about yourself. You know what I mean? And I think this, the sobriety journey is, it's less about alcohol and it's more about discovering ourselves and how we function in this world without booze. Um, And that is more about us honoring ourselves than it is about any amount of alcohol. You know, like as much as drinking wasn't my whole story, but it was very much a big, big part of it. But I feel like sobriety is the whole thing. You know, like I'm, I'm obsessed with being sober. It's, it's my passion. It's, it's the, you know, cause it's so good. You want to share it with everyone. Whereas alcohol, I was always trying to hide it. And I was, you know, downplaying how much I was drinking because it felt and sounded bad. Whereas with sobriety, you could, you don't need to downplay how awesome sobriety is. You just, people notice it on you as well. I don't know if you found this, Matt, but when I stopped drinking after a few months, people were like, huh, what's going on with you? Like, have you, <laughs> you been washing your hair more? Like what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm just not putting poison in my body every day of the week anymore. That's, I've just literally changed one thing. And it's having a really big impact. So I'll just keep going. What I've noticed was I didn't get that. What I noticed was my kids wanted to be around me more. They were more engaged. They sought me out. And I noticed the difference because it wasn't quite like that before, which was a little bit of a slap in the face of, oh, I don't think I was the best parent at that point because clearly they were repelled by something subtly. But then when they started to really seek me out, I noticed this has to be sobriety. That's so, that's like the best reward. You know, like getting your family back. It's a great reward. Even mm. though, you know, they weren't far, but there would have been, um, it sounds like walls up. There would have been barriers, barriers to oh, entry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I know, I absolutely know that there'll be someone listening to this going, well, it sounds really easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's I, not. But yeah, but I, I think it's go. I think it's going to be impossible. So, what's what is your advice to someone who is, you know, really looking at their relationship with alcohol, realizing it, they're in this blame shame drinking cycle, wants to get out, not really sure how to do it, terrified about sobriety. It's not smartphone culture. That's the one thing that you have to be good with. That you have to be patient. With a smartphone society, there's an app for everything. I mean, you you can get a cab within minutes now, and that's amazing. That's not how sobriety works. It's not going to work on that time frame. The first few weeks could be painful. You could have withdrawal. That's okay. The long term is you are going to be better. Because there are periods of time that first six months a year, I had emotions that were all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing is, if you're thinking of doing this, some expectations that the first few days, some pain. Once you get through that, you won't have that anymore, but you will have emotions all over the place. If you do and you feel like you're losing your mind, you're not. This is normal. And you're starting to feel things that you never have before. What is going to be great that the payoff is is as time goes by, things get better and better, that you're able to handle things you never could think of handling before, that you have these superpowers that you'll be able to go to a restaurant or a bar or a social situation where you're like, this is going to be tough because I got a drink. How am I getting at home? And you have the superpower of I'm free for this. I see these other people getting wasted. It's not going to be me. And this feels awesome. You will have moments where you feel awesome that you have never felt in a different way. And you'll realize there are tools that I now have that allow me to live a life better than when I had booze. You're going to think that booze is going to be something that you white knuckle for the rest of your life and that you're taking something away. You are not going to feel that way. You're going to feel better than you ever have in your life. And you have to trust me because there's no way of believing it up front. But all of us who have long-term sobriety really have this. So it must be true. I could not agree more. And what I will say is I remember my first day of not drinking was easy. 
mainly because I was hungover and <laughs> I had nothing to do except for stay in an air-conditioned hotel room on the beachfront at Narrabeen and eat pizza for lunch. But the next few days were pretty tough. And then I have had really easy days and really, really tough days ever since then. But when you feel like you are losing your mind, and I understand what you mean by that, what I think is you're actually getting your mind back because yeah. you're not actually, um, alcohol impacts our cognitive function. And so that's how your brain works. And so then your brain um, informs your feelings and our feelings inform our behavior. And everyone's brain is seeking pleasure. It's just what we do. We're pleasure seekers. And so at some point, alcohol is fun for most people. And then it just becomes this like really terrible cycle. But you will feel out of sorts because you're just not used to feeling your feelings because alcohol rewires everything and makes it all completely scattered and hazy. So those first, first few weeks is you feel all weird, but that's actually how we, we are feeling beings, you know, and like we're human beings, not human doings. And so you, it's just actually your body recalibrating to how we are supposed to experience life. And we, and it is meant to be wild in the aisles and up and down. And it's not just this plateau, which I think alcohol can do for us. Sometimes it can, it levels us out. It takes away that pain. It temporarily distorts our function enough for us to not feel. And so when you're coming back to yourself and you're not drinking alcohol, it is just the true human experience that you are having for the first time for some people in their entire adult lives. And it feels weird, but you do get used to it. And another thing that I wanted to add is that I agree. I, sobriety is my superpower. I truly, truly believe that. But sobriety will not stop life happening. And I of feel course. like I need to mention this because everyone just wants a magic bullet and an easy ride. And that doesn't exist. And I think that when you understand that alcohol is not going to stop, parents passing away, friends getting sick, terrible stuff happening, loss of job, divorce, it's not going to stop those things happening, but what it will do, it will give you a clear mind and a whole heart so that you can actually deal with those really big life things effectively and efficiently. And that is the, su the superpower of sobriety. So it doesn't stop the bad stuff. The bad stuff will still come and happen, hopefully not all the time, but it's just the way life rolls out. It's very, very unpredictable. Sobriety isn't going to stop that, but it, it's going to give you this, like, it's the keys to the kingdom, man. It really is. To me, you learn tools in recovery if you really get serious about this. Those tools give you the solutions to get through those bad things. When my only solution was a glass of wine, right. a glass of scotch. I lost the parent in recovery, had to deal with a stepfather that I hadn't dealt with in eight years through that whole period of time. And it was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. And never once did a drink come into my mind. I didn't need to get through it. I knew that this is a short, acute period of time. This is awful, but I have the tools and I have a crew who are going to help carry me through it that care about me. Yeah. And that's what got you through. I never had that when I was drinking. I was a loner. Now mm. I do it with other people and we can rely on each other when we have those bad days. You've talked about this in your podcast before of don't do this alone. 100%. And I would say that's incredible, incredible advice. And you know, um, uh, alone, yeah, alone is somewhere that you end up when you drink. That That's how I did a lot of, towards the back end of my uh, drinking career, I call it, <laughs> I, I found myself saying no to going out with friends and staying in and drinking a bottle of wine by myself. And it was mainly because I didn't want the friends to judge how much I was drinking because going out and not having that much alcohol had not, had become like, that's not an option. Right. So you do end up alone in the, in those dark places. And when you commit to sobriety, it's, it can be really challenging to tell someone that 
you've been in those dark places and have an accountability partner. And my advice would be to start with start with a very, you know, someone near and dear who's just going to love you through it all anyway. Like whether it's a bestie or a brother or a mum or this, you only need to tell one person. And then try and find someone who's actually down the road. Try and find someone who's done 365 plus days of sobriety so that they can be not just your accountability person, but your encourager to go, hey, like I'm still going and this is these are the compounded benefits of sobriety. So that's what I kind of uh, encourage people to do. And then the other thing is, is just arm yourself with resources. And we're so lucky in 2023, there are so many podcasts. Look at us go. We're on opposite sides of the planet right now, completely different time zones. Different days. Different days. You're in the future. I am in the future. Uh, And the future is bright, my friend. Um, (laughs) You know, but connecting about sobriety, there are, there's so many books and I've written one of them called Last Drinks. And there's, you know, there's guidelines, there's online community forums there uh, there's even there's a place you can go where you don't you can actually be anonymous it's not aa but it's like an online anonymous type scenario where you there's just so many options there's reddit threads there's everything so you can immerse yourself in that knowledge and the way the algorithm works is you used punch in hashtag sober curious and all of a sudden your feed is Everyone who is sober curious or pumping out content or, you know, advice or ways to go about being sober or managing sober curious thoughts. And then you're immersed in your bubble and it makes it, it's like this really beautiful uh, bonus that, um, that we have now that eight years ago when you and I stopped drinking, there, there wasn't really any of that. No. At all. For me, it was when I Googled, am I an alcoholic? It turns out, I don't think by definition I was, but I was like, I actually don't resonate with this definition. I'm something else, but I don't know what that is. But it at least gave me permission to explore sobriety for myself. And I kind of did it on my own terms, which is why I've written the book, because I feel like there's a whole kind of group of people in that gray area of drinking where they're like, I'm not this, I want to be this, how do I go about it? And I'm like, well, this is what I did and I haven't had a drink since. So it worked for me, it might work for you. It might not, but at least throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. I would have wanted this book in March of 2014. As you're describing this, this is exactly the place I was in because I believe the alcoholic was some guy with a long beard and a trench coat and maybe boxers underneath or not and somebody who's homeless. I didn't see it as somebody like me who had a job, had a house, had a family, never got in trouble with the law. So I must not be an alcoholic. Mm. And I think we can reach a lot of people who have these problems because they can't stop when they control it and yet have some guidelines that can resonate with them. I sort of have a question for you about this because your background to me is exactly in this type of thing. Mm. To me, you shouldn't have an alcohol issue. You were a VJ on Total Request Live. You're known (laughs) in your country. You have a big radio show. You're somebody that if you go into Wikipedia, you can find your name. Yeah. If you're on TV, you have to be somewhat attractive. And there's only a certain portion <laughs> of the population who have a face for TV. So how could it be possible that Maz Compton had a problem with alcohol and felt the need to stop? Yeah, well, that, thank you for saying those lovely things. <laughs> I think, Matt, what happened is I just didn't realize the bigness of all of the things that you mentioned, I didn't realize were impacting me. So I think it was a classic case of I had these really big dreams as a young person and then they came true and I had no coping skills on the other things that can come with attaining a level of fame or uh, notoriety. So the big overarching one for me that I did not realize at the time was imposter syndrome. So Mm. I got my job on MTV and I remember I went out to my, the car park, uh, and I rang my dad 
and he was, and I was bawling my eyes out and he was like, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, there'll be another TV job for you. And I was like, no, dad, I got the job. And he's like, <laughs> why are you crying? Like, I'm really overwhelmed. I don't like, I don't believe it. I don't believe I'm worthy of this thing I have had on a pedestal for my entire life to achieve. Did you feel like you fooled them? Yeah, I did. I felt like Ashton Kutcher was going to like knock on the car window and be like, (laughs) (laughs) I did. I, I, I didn't believe it. I was like, how, how has this happened to me? And I think part of the appeal of me in 2004, when I got my job on MTV was I, I did really come across as the girl next door, really passionate about music. I am a great communicator. And I think that I was really just ticking a lot of diversity boxes for them at the time as well, to be perfectly honest. But I got this big job and then all of a sudden my whole life changed overnight. I, my salary doubled from where I was working at a radio station to being a VJ. It still was terrible money. But like at the time, <laughs> um, yeah. my salary doubled. I, all of a sudden I'm on boats with Good Charlotte and interviewing Blink-182 and getting flown business class to Rome, right? So I didn't have time to catch up. And so, and the thing that is the currency in... Um, the MTV culture in, um, you know, the the land of the rock star is alcohol. So all of a sudden I'm at work and there's beers at 4 p.m. And so you just indulge. And I feel like it helped me feel okay in those rooms where otherwise I was standing there going, I am the odd one out. Like I, I am a ruse. Like when, when is the, when are they going to figure it out? Like I'm just a regular human and I feel really, really insecure. So I think the drinking thing for me solved that internal problem of I don't feel like I deserve to be here, but I'm here, so I better make the most of it. And then by the time I was in my 30s, I'd been through a divorce um, I, and my par- my parents had gotten divorced and I went through a divorce. I it, w- it was just a lot of big life stuff came at me and then alcohol really just became my coping tool. So as much as – and then the other thing that happened is – When I was about 29, so I'd been on MTV for about five years and I had this really kind of big moment where I was like, I don't feel connected to this brand anymore. And I actually resigned. And so resigning from your dream job is a big deal because everyone has their dream. And then I actually had a dream, got the dream. And then I got to the other side of the dream and I'm like, what's the plan now? So there were a lot of um, just really big things in my life that happened that I had zero coping tools for. And so alcohol became my multi-tool of coping because it just dumbed everything down. It numbed everything. It helped me deal with that social anxiety before every live show, every event, every red carpet, every international flight. And so it just solved that big internal problem that I had. And then what I kind of realized when I got out of MTV and then into radio is like, oh, this problem's following me around. Like it's not a TV problem. This is a me problem. So it was in that year of 2014. I really, uh, I realized that the drinking thing was heading in a really dangerous direction. And there wasn't like a huge, everyone's like, oh, what happened? (laughs) I'm like, nothing happened. I just realized that I didn't want to keep doing this. And I just knew if nothing changes, nothing changes. And so I had to change something. Otherwise, it was just not going to go in a great direction for me. And by 2014, I was exhausted. Um, I had just been through some big life stuff that I was avoiding facing. And so I decided to just put on my big girl pants and face it. That, that really is kind of the sober curiosity that I experienced in that year. So to answer your question, God, that was a long answer. Um, it's because it was a great answer. <laughs> it's because I yeah I really suffered imposter syndrome, which which for people who are like, what does that even mean? It's just it's not feeling I my self worth was zero, and that sounds ridiculous because of all the things that you said that I've done, which ever like my face was on billboards, I had loads of money, I interviewed Jared Leto, like, but on paper my life was amazing, but internally I didn't believe it. And so that intern, I was living in crisis every single day. I was waking up in crisis mode because I had to go and be this girl on the radio or on the TV and I didn't believe who she was. So when 
I got sober, my first month that I didn't drink, I wrote in my journal every day. And then in the second month, I reread my journal. And that's when I actually, for the first time in my adult life, had self-compassion and realized, oh my God, there she is. She's so broken. She actually needs a bit of help. And then I went and I spoke to a therapist and that was a really good decision as well, which is probably a bit of advice for other people too. Yes. Therapy is, regardless of how that looks for you, talk therapy is great, but there's, there's lots of different therapy, but absolutely investigate those, you know, all, all of those options. I went back and in doing research on you, I found a sizzle reel that you have on YouTube from, I wanted to see what you were like before recovery. <laughs> and I'm watching your, this must be like 13 years ago. And I'm like, she's really good at this. Oh, thanks. <laughs> really good at this. Thank you. And I can identify through your eyes of doing this and being with big bands and, and, you know, having Zac Efron have his arm around you or Fergie, Fergie did something weird to you in this sizzle reel. Yeah, but, she re and, she was hitting on me harder than Zac Efron. <laughs> oh, it was very clear. Very clear. And feeling like if you're in the room and Fergie's like touching you in a strange way, <laughs> you must feel a normal person would feel an equal. And I could see through your eyes. I'm the fraud here. What yeah. am I doing? I don't belong. I'm not on your level. Yeah, 100%. Because I have felt that way. Yeah. And I don't think you need to be on TV or you know, being hit on by a rock star no. to, to feel out of sorts. And you know, the other thing, Matt, that I've realized now in sobriety, um, and again, another reason why I think I gravitated towards using alcohol as my coping mechanism is because I am actually an introvert. Now, me too. I have a job that requires me to be very extroverted and have lots of extroversion. And so when you're a good communicator, happy on a stage in front of 50,000 people hosting an event, have done it. Um, I can be in these really big places and be okay, but to recharge, I need alone time. I need space. Me too. And I never realized that about myself. So what I would do is I would avoid being alone and I would just go to the next party or the next gig or the whatever. And my life was so busy and full. I never had a recharge for like 15 years. I did not recharge my own batteries. So I was just running on caffeine, alcohol and adrenaline for most of my adult life. And it was in sobriety, I recognized like as much as I have a really big personality and I love connecting with people and communicating, I've been described as bubbly and she has chutzpah, right? I love my couch and my pajamas and a hot water bottle and nowhere to be. And, <laughs> and that is so surprising to people because they're like, oh, but you're like, you're such a social butterfly. I'm like, no, I'm not a social butterfly. I felt like I had to be a social butterfly to keep up the appearance that I was okay. And so I think, you know, those really big paradigm shifts in sobriety are encouraging when, when one slaps you in the face. Like the day I, I kind of woke up and I was like, I think I'm an introvert, <laughs> which is so confusing for people to understand about me. But then you get to have a conversation about what introversion and extroversion actually are, um, you know, I'm an extroverted introvert. I just, I like being alone I, and I can tap into my job and then get out of my face. And I'm really comfortable um, filling my cup up in the right way now, whereas I never realized how I needed to fill it up before. I think some of the great radio and performers are introverts. Johnny Carson in the United States, king of late night, was an introvert. And for me, I feel like I can come alive and have a way of talking to people that I feel like I have no business talking to because of this podcast. But when the microphone's in front of me, I can be the person I always wanted to be. Mm. When I don't have a microphone in front of me, I can feel inept. And I have to imagine 9 a.m. comes along and the mics go off. You must be gassed. Yeah, it's some days. I said this to my co-host the other day because we had, I don't know, just like a just a bit of a silly show. I don't know. A few things went wrong as they do in live radio. And we had like one of our callers was just like went rogue. And it was, you know, a few things that, <laughs> which make for great radio. But I said to him at 9.03, when we switched off the microphones, I'm like, I feel like I've run a marathon today. Like I am, yeah. I'm flat out exhausted. And so whilst, 
my job in breakfast radio is exhausting. It's also, I get three hours of escapism. And I think that in sobriety for me has, you know, it's been a really safe place for me. And I've had a lot of grief in the last two years of my life. So being able to actually come to work and kind of switch off is like how I would use alcohol. I would use alcohol like after my my drive show in the afternoon, I would flick off the microphones and open a beer or a bottle of wine. Whereas now like we flick off the microphones and I'm like, I've had my bit of escapism and my, my silliness, my fun, my, you know, being frivolous. We do serious stuff too, but on the whole, like we're entertainment based show, like we're not hard hitting news. And so we get to have a bit of fun and I get this little kind, kind of tiny escape, which feels really nice. And then I like to spend a bit of time by myself, <laughs> not in people's faces or ears. If I had my way, I'd probably just stay here. COVID was great for that. Yeah. I had to learn how to re-enter with COVID because I now work from home and it was easy for it to have the excuse of, I can't go and be around people because there's a health emergency. And when things started to open up again and people took the masks off, it was terrifying. And I realized mm -hmm. I have to treat this as though I'm mourning what was in the past uncomfortable and I have to work on re-entering. And I almost have to be like, I have to be in that panic situation of going to the store, taking off my mask and being mm -hmm. around because I'm not used to what the norm was. That's how I did it as a process. But, you know, mm -hmm. as an introvert that needs to be alone, it was scary, safe for me in a bad way. I think a lot of people would agree that the lockdowns and the COVID pandemic, as horrendous as it was, what a timestamp in history, it was the extra, the introvert's dream. Like, you, oh, yeah. you, you're like, oh my God, great. I, I don't even have to be around. In fact, like the government's telling me to not be around people. <laughs> this is kind of amazing. But I'm I remember being a patriot. when I was, when the lockdowns lifted here, uh, we went back in and out and, and what have you. But um, I remember going to a cafe for the first time in ages and like with my mom. And I, I just had forgotten how to order a coffee and go and take a seat because you're so used to there was, you know, minimal cafes open for takeaway only. And you just done takeaway and then go back home. You've had your hour of exercise. And I just remember I looked at my mom I'm like, how do we do this again? What it was so weird. I felt like I was doing something wrong. I shouldn't be here this long. I shouldn't mm -hmm. be having a glass. I, it just, there was that training of you get in, you get your stuff and you get out and you do it as fast as you can yeah. or else the world will fall apart. And then you're expected to do it again. And like, how do I get out of that fear mode? Yeah. It was, that was, that was just an intense, I mean, yeah, I always say I'm a COVID pandemic survivor. Like some, yeah. people, some people aren't, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones and I didn't, didn't get it as far as I know, I've done a bunch of rat tests, all negative, but I've seen people be terribly, terribly ill. And for the yeah. greater good, you know, the greater good, we, we stayed at home and we, you know, we really passed up some of our freedoms for a, a blip on the radar. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm amazed at the people who got sober during the pandemic. I, I don't know if I could have done that. Well, there were people I met who that's when they got sober. And I'm like, y you are my hero. I'm the same. You I, have... I've, but I've met schools. There's two uh, schools of people that really stick out. And it's the people that got sober and the people that really lent into drinking during the pandemic because you could go to a bottle shop and buy a bottle of whatever and you didn't have to be anywhere but on Zoom for a really long time. So yeah. it, it went, I think, either way. I think there's a lot of people that came out of the pandemic with like a really big dependence on alcohol um, and, the, and, and you know, vice versa. And then I think there's some people that came out of the pandemic and were like, I need to drink because all of this social anxiety is flared up again in me and I don't know how to interact with other humans anymore. Like it's, so there's, yeah, I think the results of that are so varied, I guess, depending on people's situations and um, personality type probably plays a bit of a role, psychology definitely. But I think regardless of how that played out in the pandemic, I know now that there is an upswing in sobriety and sober curiosity. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, as, again, as I said, eight years ago, nothing. There was, there were none of these conversations, you know, and the idea of being sober meant you had 
a hardcore drinking problem that was very shameful, that was very stigmatized. And I think now it's not at all. I think now people can just go, do you know what? I just don't want to drink. And people are a lot more receptive of that being a good enough reason to not drink alcohol. Here's how I know that something has changed. Companies figured out they can make money off of us. Uh There are so many dry wines and beers, not like the suds in a bottle that they used to sell, like really even hard liquors that have no alcohol in it, sober bars, sober clubs. There is this culture around where you can be sober, maybe even just for health benefits, and there's so much to do, and it almost feels like the worm has turned towards when you're drinking to excess, it's sort of like if you're a smoker. Mm-hmm. Not quite, but I almost see like there's a pendulum swing that way. And that was the thing that really lit up for me if something's changed because companies figured we can make money off of this. And when yeah. companies can make money off of it, you know that something is changing and probably changing for the good. Absolutely. The um, the non-alcoholic drinks market is, um, it's the predictions between now and 2025 are just astronomical is billions and billions of dollars and companies, big alcohol are pouring, you know, it's still, it's still profiting the big alcohol brands, Uh but still they're pouring their money and their marketing instead of pink washing brands now, which is creating, you know, those alcohol brands that women can drink to feel sophisticated by putting it in a pink bottle and giving them a free handbag. Um, They're pouring, so many dollars into developing non-alcoholic brands. And I have zero problems with that. I'm not a non-alc drinker at all. I don't. It's Me neither. It's not my thing. But you know what? It solves a big dilemma for a lot of people. And for that, I'm really grateful that there are options where people can mindfully drink, where they can, you know, decrease the amount of alcohol that they are intaking, which means they're going to be you know, functional with clear head for a little bit longer. And all, all of those steps are great little steps, um, steps that I never had access to. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for those, for people who it works for. It just doesn't work for some people and that's fine too. I feel like so much has changed and changed for the better in sobriety. I don't feel like we've been sober that long. Like it'll be next year, it'll be 10 years for me, but it still feels like I'm new and we're about in the same ballpark. I don't know if it feels that way to you, but it just feels like things changed so fast in that regards in the positive. Yeah. And I, it's like whiplash. Yeah, it definitely, I, I felt like a rebel when I stopped drinking. I didn't know, I didn't know a sober person. I don't think, not that everybody I hung out with, you know, had an issue, but I just didn't know a sober person. And so I was the sober person that I knew. And within like two, three years, I had people reaching out going, hey, you haven't had a drink for a while. How'd you do that? Or like, you know, you 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 look great. What's going on there? Like, you know, what, what diet are you on? Or <laughs> like, it's not a diet. It's just not drinking alcohol because I'm not putting poison in my body. But um. It did. It's it's shifting quickly. And then, you know, it's that whole Mal- Malcolm Gladwell tipping point scenario. And we're there yep. now. And so now, because I think big alcohol is on board and there's products and it, now it's pushing the narrative. It's like, it's not just solving a problem. It's, it's pushing the narrative of not drinking alcohol is okay. And there's all of these other things you can drink instead. I'm kind of curious, you being in media, what feels... Do you have one of these types of things that feels more like your normal work? Is it this podcast on recovery or is it the breakfast show? Because these are totally different topics, totally different things. Like what feels like this is my norm and this is my vocation? That is such a great question. Um, This is the heart work for me. So this is why I'm on this planet is to have these conversations and help people get sober. That's why I'm here. So this is incredibly important to me and I have a job on radio that I love and I'm really good at and that facilitates this. Also pays the bills, puts my kid in daycare and does all of the things. And so I'm very lucky that I love my day job to pieces and I have an amazing team who 
if I ever say, hey, I'm going to do a potty chat, then they're fine because they know how important this work is. And it's not to say that my breakfast show isn't important, um, but I'm not saving lives in breakfast radio. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's entertainment format. It's we're there for the lols. We're background noise to people's crazy, chaotic, hectic mornings. Right. And I don't, I don't have that out of whack where I think that that is actually more important than what it is. It is what it is. And I love it and I'm great at it. And that's really good. But this for me, having conversations for more than four minutes without having to throw to a pink song is really (laughs) um, satisfying for me. And I just know that this is helping people. But, and the, the, the flip side is also that the radio show is also a great platform to have these, you know, mini versions of these conversations. And I'm obviously talking about my book that I've written and, you know, um, promoting this podcast and we give away um, non-alcoholic brands on our show as prize packs, you know, which is, again, cool. You Back in the day, you could win a six-pack of beer on a radio show and, and we're right. like, hey, we, we're giving you some famous soda codes so when you go to your friend's barbecue on the weekend, you don't have to drink alcohol. We've got you sorted for your sober weekend, you know, stuff like that. So I feel lucky that I, I get to do both. Um I'm, I, I guess that because this is, you know, my passion and the other thing is my job, it's, it's hard. They're one, they're one in the same and one can't exist without the other. I can't do this unless I have the radio job, you know? Absolutely. But you are doing some good work doing radio. One, because morning radio, somebody's inviting you in to their job or driving to their job when they could be very miserable going to that job. And you might be the only person they know that's sober and you come off as happy and chipper. And if, gosh, if Maz can do it and she must get up at an ungodly hour and is able to do this, maybe it's something I can do too. Yeah, I think so. I try not to overthink that. I I get in I get into the show and I hang out with my co-host and we we both have so much experience in radio. Like we we really just are there for a really good time. It's and it's super fun. We have had messages from people um through Instagram mainly just saying, "Hey, just so you know, I'm in a really dark place and your show is actually helping me get through it." And that's just so lovely to know that um, we do brighten up people's days occasionally. And it, you know, that is really, really nice. And if I can share my sobriety on that platform for somebody tuning in, absolutely. And one thing I will say, I do, when people find out that I'm on breakfast radio, the number one thing people will say to me is like, oh my God, like what time do you have to get up in the morning? And I'm like, 410, 410am. They're like, I could never do that. I'm like, that's exactly why I am because I do. And I it's not, I think it, it's not about, my attitude isn't I can't because if you can't, then you're right. And it's the same with sobriety. If somebody tells me, oh, my God, I so wish I could be sober. I just can't drink. I can't stop drinking. I'm like, okay. You know, I believe people when they show me who they are. And if you tell me that you can't, I'm not going to try and convince you that you can. I'm just going to keep doing my thing, which is knowing that I can and hopefully then that might inspire you to realize that you actually can, but you've got to believe it for yourself. The same with the 410 alarm. It's like, I, I could never get up at 410. I'm like, yeah, but you might be able to, if it's something that you love, like I do, cause I love it. You know, I, and I don't, I don't complain. I get really tired, but I don't complain cause I realize how much of an honor sitting in front of a microphone every single morning is. I know how um, I know how special that job is. And so that's why I, I love it so dearly. I know how different the radio industry is in the United States. And those are special jobs to have. Mm. They don't grow on trees. There's not a lot of local radio in the United States anymore. It's syndicated nationally. Yeah. So I love that you can talk about the fact that you appreciate what you have. I'm not sure you'd be alive now if you didn't stop with what you were doing Mm. and being on radio and having to wake up early after almost 10 years. Yeah. I think you would have been at a breaking point. I've, I've thought about it. So in 20, so I quit drinking in 2015 and in October of that year, I lost my job at, which is so hilarious. It's not funny, but like it is now. Cause I think back and I, I remember thinking to myself, when I was drinking, I was like, man, I just, 
I don't want to keep drinking because like, I don't want to get to a point where I lose my job because I'm drinking so much. And then the irony is, is that I got sober and 10 months later, I lost my job <laughs> and it wasn't because mm-hmm. I was sober. Um, it was just because there was a management change and a shift in brand direction. And, you know, there's casualties and I was one of them. It, it is what it is. And at the time that was really horrible. That was one of the toughest things that I went through, but I went through it sober. I didn't have a drink. Even the day that I found out I didn't have a job anymore. And then I was unemployed for a a period of time and that was really hard. But I have on reflection thought to myself that that was the biggest blessing because uh, if I didn't get sober that year and if I kept drinking and then had have lost my job, I don't know how I would have coped. I don't know which way I would have spiraled, but I, I don't think it would have been a good spiral. So the fact that I was sober when I lost my job was maybe the making of me and my sobriety. Uh, And I don't like to think about what might have happened if I didn't get sober because I think that you're right, although I don't like – I actually don't want to let my mind go there um, Mm -hmm. because it is – that's scary. And then, you know, and then my son doesn't exist. And then there's so many Mm -hmm. wonderful things that I have that are so precious to me that don't get to happen. So – um. I am just so glad that I had my last drink. I, it was, I've made some terrible decisions in life and I've made a couple of really good ones. And that was one of the really, really good ones. We're coming around in that full circle back to the ripples in the pond. You're talking now about what are those ripples that might not have happened that push off into the future. The fact that you have Mm -hmm. a child, your legacy will move on for decades beyond when you're gone and that doesn't happen. And I'm, I'm terrified for my kids because I'm a parent. I don't want them to go through what I did, but I know I fully like parenting is so intense. Like, man, it is. I, I have like, I'm already grieving. Like when Henry, grows up or he goes up a shoe size I'm like <laughs> like packing Me away too. I'm just an absolute mess in a in an amazing way because I love this kid so much and you're right I don't want him to ever feel any pain but they're gonna because they're mm-hmm. humans and I guess my role how I see it is to uh it's not even about shaping him because he is who he is my lord but it is about equipping him um, to be a great decision maker and to want to contribute. That's the pressure. That's the only pressure I put on myself as a parent. It's like I want him to be able to make good decisions and want to contribute. And I think if if those two qualities are there, I think everything else gets tied up because then you have compassion, you have empathy, you have kindness. You have patience. You have all of these things that come with those two qualities. And you can be a great example. God forbid he runs into problems. You at least can be an example. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Watch this space, man. We'll see. Some days I have parenting wins and then other days I'm like, I'm really bad at this. (laughs) This is too hard. So the the challenge for me talking about hard things is being the lead on a podcast and you're the lead on the podcast. So when do we end this thing? This feels like it's a good time to to wrap things up. You and I, would anyone believe this is the first conversation we've ever had? I have loved this conversation. Me too. I was well, so nervous going in. Like, she's a big Australian star. Who oh, am I? Stop. No, you're you're amazing. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. That it, I just know that your story is absolutely going to help people. So I, I do appreciate you. I'm going to let you wrap it up. Okay. Well, Maz, tell us how we can find you. You can find me on Instagram, Maz Compton, um, or through my podcast, which is Last Drinks Pod. Um they're probably the two How can we main. get the book? Well, oh, and the book is uh, through my website, mazcompton.com. I keep it pretty, pretty easy. What about pretty you? Easy. Where can we find you, Matt? You can find me on Instagram at soberfriendspod, at on Facebook at soberfriendspod. The website uh, is soberfriendspod.com. Amazing. That's where you can find us. You can find both of our podcasts anywhere that you find podcasts. It's anywhere. And you should listen to both. Thank you, my friend.
You're welcome, Maz. And we'll see everybody next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.